Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. one of our brand new series called Holiday Survival Guide. Uh, how many of you got just a little taste of this last week at Thanksgiving? Yeah, just, you're like, I had just a little bit of cray. Just a little bit of, a little bit of, I can't believe they just said that. I, I had a little bit of, I had to do that. You know, those people. Um, our Thanksgiving was really cool, though. We, we just hung out with, with kind of friends. We don't really have family in the area, so we always just try to do stuff with, with, with friends in the area. And so we had a great time, and we had no drama. It was just totally just chill. As a matter of fact, I went and ate. Thanksgiving meal, and um, I don't know if you're like this or not, but like sometimes you just overeat at Thanksgiving dinner. You just do. You ought to wear sweatpants that have expanding waistlines, and you ought to. And I literally, I got up from the table, I walked 20 feet to the couch, and I napped for half an hour. I, people were still at the table, and I just got up and left them, um, which that'll come up later, uh, why I do things like that, maybe. So, um, but anyway, this, this is the holiday survival guide, and, and, and this is the big thing that I think about when I think about preparing you for the holidays. Now, there, there's different aspects of the holidays that I could prepare you for, but I'm going to hone in on just one, and that is the unique and weird and quirky and difficult and sometimes obnoxious or annoying people that you are forced to be with that you purposely try to avoid the other 11 months of the year. Can I get an amen out there? You just, anybody like that? You're like... I got to do this. And, and how many of you do this? How many of you before, this is what I do, before you go into the home or the thing that you got to do, you sit in the car, okay, so-and-so is going to be in there. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to say that. You know, I mean, you prepare yourself for that unique individual. Now, again, I always try to prepare you uh, across the board. So if you are the person that you think I never have to prepare myself for anybody like that in my family, know that it might be you that everyone else is preparing for. It's just a thought. You take that home and pray about that. So, but we know that like families have a unique dynamic because you got like all, and families are more different now maybe than ever before in the history of the world. Cause you got steps this and that, and you got multiple Christmas. How many of you remember the movie, The Four Christmases? I don't know if y'all have to do that, where you got Christmas here, and then you got Christmas here, and you got Christmas there, and you got all these different dynamics in play. Or you just have like the in-law factor, which is the, the in-laws and the outlaws, and the, if you got that uncle or that cousin or that whatever, and then you got exes are involved sometimes. And so then you got sometimes just that like difficult coworker when you're doing the office party thing. Has anybody done Christmas office party yet? Not yet? Okay, just I'm preparing you. Yeah, so you got the, and then how many of you know too, there's something about that spiked eggnog that brings out the worst sometimes in people. Like they were already a level seven on your crazy scale of one to 10, and then all of a sudden the spiked eggnog hits, and they all of a sudden eight, nine, 10, they're off the chart with how difficult or annoying or obnoxious that might be. Are we tracking now as to why we need a holiday survival God? We're all on the same page. Good. Because what I want to do is just kind of prepare you for these holidays. How do I deal with the difficult people in my life, sometimes annoying or obnoxious or, or whatever? Here, here's a thought too. I've had this conversation with many people. Pastor Todd, how do I handle being at this family gathering when I know that person has done this? That person did this to my mom or dad, or this person did this to me when I was younger. How do I even, resp- I don't even want to look them in the eye. So again, this has, this has a scale of like how difficult it might be for you. And today, I just want to begin us on this journey by preparing your heart and your mind 
in how you view and see these people. Because I've told you this in the past, that really, happy people, truly happy people, they're not happier in life because their circumstances are better than yours. They're happier in life because of how they manage their thoughts. And so today I want to get into that. Like, how do I view people? How do I see people? How do I process what they just said, what they just did, and how am I going to receive that into my heart? Let's pray before we go any further. Let's do that. Father, we, we just got bring things to our memory, stir things up in our heart. God, let our mind be open to think and to like engage with the scriptures this morning. God, above all, we pray, pray that you would just change us, rearrange us from the inside out. Let us God, just become different as we draw closer and closer to you. Let us become more like Christ and less like ourselves, Lord. That would be my prayer, and it is in your name that we ask that. And we all said, amen. So, hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verse number 1 here in just a second. We're going to just talk about this particular scripture where Jesus talks about how you view other people, how you interpret what they did, what you do with your thought life as you think about them crazy People, are you ready? Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, interestingly enough, in pop culture, um, this has now become really the most popular scripture, right? Used to be John 3, 16, right? Not anymore. Now it's this one. And we like this one because this, in essence, gives us the ability to say, hey, don't judge me. Nobody can judge me but God. That's not true. Um, people are judging you, just so you know. <laughs> uh, this is not true. It's not true to reality. And, and sometimes we use the scripture as a way to, of saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Don't judge me. I'm going to act how I want to act. Don't judge me. But if you look at it and you just isolated this, you would be very misled in what Jesus is about to say here. So he starts with, do not judge, or you too will be judged. But then he actually goes on to teach you how to judge. Which makes you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it don't judge or this is how you judge? And the, the thing is, this, go back to verse number one for me, is really you could add in a little word here in parentheses and, and really what he's saying is, is don't judge critically or don't condemn harshly. That's the idea that he's going with and you'll see it as we look at the next couple of verses. Number two says this, he says, for in the same way that you judge others, meaning that whole thing about don't judge, it means don't judge critically because in the way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure, if I say measure, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why? Do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Meaning like, you got issues too, don't be tripping. And sometimes what, what is, is, is a speck and not even that big of a deal in their life and you're unaware that you actually have some major issues in your life. Next verse says this. <clears throat> is that it? No, verse five. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So again, he just does something really weird here. First, it seems as though there's this really liberal view which says, just don't judge. Don't judge anybody. Don't ever judge. Don't judge. And that's not what he's saying. Now, the other extreme is that there's a religious view. And when I say religious, I'm not saying positive things. I'm saying like, you're a little uptight. You're a little self-righteous. You're a little bit arrogant and better than everybody because you think you're super spiritual and religious. And that's what I'm talking about. And the, and the super religious way of viewing it would have been this. Once I deal with the plank in my own life, I'm calling everybody's junk out. Right? 
Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if I deal with my junk, I can get into yours. And that's not what he's saying. The key is in verse number two, if you want to go back to that. In in verse number two, Jesus actually, I think, puts this thing in the middle that really kind of defines everything for us. And it's this one key word. Everybody say measure. Okay, with a little bit of like the Niners were actually good this year. Everybody say measure. Okay, good. As a matter of fact, do this. Everybody say measure and do this right here. Just a little bit. Yeah, a little measure. So, the reason why he's using this idea of measure is, is really this kind of comes to a, a specific Jewish and cultural idea that he was playing on. So, for instance, in the ancient world, um, they always use scales. As a matter of fact, we even in the Greek world, remember, remember what justice was represented by, I think, a blindfolded woman holding scales, right? And I think that's still in courthouses today. I've, I've never been to one. That just lets you know your pastor's never been in that much trouble. And so, you know... Um, but even in, but and this goes back forever though, even in the book of Job, which is considered maybe one of the oldest books of the Bible, it actually says this in the book of Job's, he, in Job, he says, weigh me in honest scales and know that I am blameless. Weigh me in honest scales. So scales were always a sign of justice. And so in the marketplace, this is what they would do. So we, when we go to Costco, we just take food, they put it on a belt, they scan it, and then you stick your card in that machine, Right? Because they don't take, they take cash? I don't know if they take cash. You stick, and that's how you pay for things, right? But in the ancient world, in the marketplace, the way that you would pay for things is they would use scales. Literally, you would take maybe silver, and they would have a weight. And then they would know that this weight was exactly a certain number of pounds or whatever they used, and they would know that this was the right payment, or even if you were doing like certain gram, and they might put the actual product on the scale and then weigh it. Now, if you were a shady marketplace person, you would have dishonest scales, meaning what you said was 10 pounds, that wasn't 10 pounds, and you would do it in such a way to scam people. That's why Job was saying, weigh me with honest scales. Now, the other way to do this, and this is where you know you had a really good shopkeeper or a really good manager or whatever it was, Whenever you went to go put your money on the scale, and let's say they put a product on the other one, what they would do is, is a really good shopkeeper would say, hey, look, I'm going to put a little bit of extra on there so that the scales tip in your favor. And that way, it would put a smile on your face, and that would let you know, I'm coming back to this guy because this guy does what? He hooks it up. This guy's blessing. This guy's generous. He's putting just a little bit more. As a matter of fact, 120 years before the time of Jesus, this is what another rabbi had said. He says this, judge each person with the scales weighted in their favor. So what he was saying was this, you're going to have people in your life that get up on your nerves, make you mad, offend you, hurt you, harm you, or just weird and difficult, whatever it is, and you're going to be tempted to judge them critically or harshly. What I want you to do is back that train up. I want you to begin to think, okay, I'm making a judgment about this person, but how can I judge them to where I actually weigh the scales in their favor? We would say it like this. How can I give them the benefit of the doubt? How can I maybe interpret what they did and give them like a good reason or a good excuse or some type of like, well, maybe this was going on in their life. Or maybe, have you, does anybody get mad and get a little bit of road rage? Anybody want to just be honest a little bit out there? Yeah, you got some road rage issues. We'll pray for you after service. And so sometimes the reason why you have road rage is not because you just went out and decided to be angry at other drivers. You were provoked by bad drivers, weren't you? Do you ever judge those drivers? Do you ever think, I bet it was a, and then you like, (laughs) you put your 
uh, age or ethnicity or, you know, gender or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, you got your thing. You're an ist um, of some kind. You judge them harshly and you're like, what an idiot. What kind of moron driver? And you probably say worse things because you're alone and you, but Jesus is watching. So, <laughs> so you have your way of kind of like getting angry and it all boils up in the end. But, but like, let me give you, this is what I would mean when I would say, judge them favorably, give them the benefit of the doubt. Because like, here's the deal. That driver, let me, let me, okay, okay. I'm betting you money that that wasn't personal. I bet, I bet they would have cut off anybody. You just happen to be, they wouldn't, it wasn't even personal. I bet they're just a bad driver. They probably didn't even know they did that. They're just, that, that, you know, and so you start giving them, hey, wh- wh- let's go even deeper. You ever been late for something? And because you're late, you're kind of driving a little bit not so friendly or kind? What if that was them? What if they were late for something really, really important? And it wasn't personal. They weren't trying to be mean. They actually had something legitimate that they were like late for and were stressing about. Hey, here, here's a thought. Have you ever, shh, have you ever had to go to the bathroom so badly? One or two. And you were like, oh my dear Lord. You know, you just got, you had Taco Bell and you're regretting that decision. You got some bubbly guts and you're like, dear God, get me to a toilet. That could have been them. You don't even know. And my point is, is that like, it would be easy to just judge them, yell, cuss, give them the number one sign. You know what I'm talking about? You could do that or, or, or you would actually be a kinder, happier, more pleasant person if you began to judge them favorably. Again, this was, a, this was a Jewish idea that they were wrestling with because not only did they have other Jewish teachers talking about this, in the Talmud they had a different parable that explained exactly this idea. I want to read you the parable. So this is the way the parable goes. A man worked on a farm for three years, but on the day of atonement he went to his employer to ask for his wages so that he could take them home to his wife and children. But the farm owner said to him, I don't have any money. So the farmer was like, well, dang, dude, give me some of your crops that I helped you grow then. And he goes, I don't have any. And the worker cried, well, give me some of the sheep that I helped you raise. And the farmer just shrugged and said that he had nothing to give him. Now, how many of y'all are buying that story? You'd be angry, mad. Judgments would be coming through your brain, if not through your mouth. So the farmhand gathered up his belongings and went home with a sorrowful heart. After the holidays, the employer came, though, to the farmhand's house with all of his wages, plus three carts full of extra gifts. And they had dinner together. And as they ate, the farm owner asked, I love this, this is dial in with me here. When I told you I had no money, what did you suspect? And this is what the farmhand said. I thought that you had seen a bargain and used all your cash to buy it, the worker replied. And what did you think when I said I had no crops? He said, I thought perhaps they were all leased to others. And what did you think when I said I had no animals? And he said, I thought that maybe you just dedicated them to the temple. And the farmer answered him and said, it was exactly as you say. My son wouldn't study the scriptures. And the day you came to me, I had rashly dedicated all my possessions to God. But just a couple of days ago, I was absolved of my vow so that now I can pay you. And as for you, listen to this, just as you have judged me favorably, may the Lord, may the Lord judge you favorably. And you're like, oh, dang, they just got me with a story. And the story was that the farmhand had the opportunity to get mad, hurt, offended, to go on to Yelp and give him the worst review ever, 
to go badmouth him to all the other farmhands and say, don't you trust that guy? He's a this and a that. And a, he had the opportunity to do that, but he backed off and he reserved his judgment. He gave the guy the benefit of the doubt. He assumed the best because in any altercation, in any offensive situation, there are many times during this holiday season, somebody's going to say something to you. And then you see, this is what happens. I'm kind of an oblivious person. But every once in a while, my wife would be like, did you hear what they just said to you? And I'd be like, no, what'd they say? <laughs> and they'll have said something that was like offensive. Now, I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm just clueless. Now, that is a gift, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> but sometimes when a person says something to you, you have the opportunity to read into it deeply and assume the worst. Or you can read into it and say, no, I bet they didn't mean that. I'm sure they did. Yeah, that probably, that's probably not what they meant to say. Because most offenses, let's be honest, most verbal offenses are usually a misunderstanding anyway. And so in any situation that you possibly can, give people the benefit of the doubt. Assume the best possible outcome. I bet they really had to use the bathroom right? I bet that's not what they meant. I bet, as a matter of fact, there's a, a few stories that illustrate this. Um, there's a story of a man who was on a train with his two sons, and across was an elderly woman. And the woman was watching these kids just act crazy, rude, disrespectful, loud, bothering the other people on the train and just making a havoc. And like, she's sitting there thinking, unbelievable. Would this guy please discipline them kids? I want to, you ever want to discipline other people's kids? It's okay, I do too. So, so you're like, why doesn't he say something? Why doesn't he make them sit down? Why doesn't he recognize how rude they're being to everyone around him? And, and, and so she tells the story though, and she says that basically a few minutes had passed and the man looked up and apologized and said, hey, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I bet my kids are really bugging you. I didn't, we're coming from my wife's funeral and I don't know what to do anymore and I feel lost. And she goes, oh my God. See, that's the story. You, you, you don't know. You made a harsh judgment. You don't realize who they are, where they came from, what they're going on or what they're going through in life. And so you just have this ability to maybe make a snap judgment. And what I'm asking you to do is this is just, just reserve your judgment for a little bit. And, and here's, here's really, the, let me encourage you with this idea. You already do this anyway. Did you know that? You already judge people favorably. You just only do it to people you like right? You ever have like that person you went to high school with and you love them and you know they're weird, but you're like, man, I just like him so much. I don't even care. And other people get around him and they're like, gosh, that guy is so just loud mouth and rude. And they're like, no, he's really? No, he's just talkative. He's just chatty. What? You just, you, it doesn't bother you. It bothers everybody else, but you gave him the benefit of the doubt. You just kind of love him for who he is, see through all of his mess, and it doesn't bother you. Other people are like this. Some people are like, man, he's so arrogant. He's so, he's so cocky and arrogant. You're like, no, he really? I, I just, he's just confident. You just took it and put a positive spin on it. You ever, hey, your spouse is like this. Your spouse is a slob, right? One of y'all. Because in any marriage, there's a clean one and a dirty one. If there's two clean ones, y'all got married later in life. That's the only way that happens. <laughs> but you got to do it. And, and like, you love your spouse, though. And you're like, yeah, yeah, they're a little disorganized. No, they're slob. 
That's how everybody else would judge them. But to you, it's a little bit less, and you put a little positive spin, you gave them the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes, sometimes like the waiter comes over and jacks everything up or messes up the order, and you're like, man, they're so stupid. And then like, no, I bet, you know what? I bet they're new here. That's, that was my, my thing for like a year. Sorry, I messed up your order. I'm new here. <laughs> I worked there for 12 months, quit. I use that line every day pretty much. So sometimes we're, sometimes we're not stupid. Sometimes we just are not made to be servers in life. And so anyway, um, my point is that you already do this for people you like. Here's what I want you to do. Do it for everybody. In every possible scenario and encounter and conversation, just put a little bit more on their scale. Tip the balance in their favor. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Make up some really good possible reasons or excuses or thinking to like why. Because you want people to do that for you, right? Remember that whole thing about me sleeping after Thanksgiving? Me just like, okay, so sometimes people think I'm socially unaware. And that's true. Like sometimes I'm not like present I don't know what's wrong. Or, or sometimes I just say things and I don't consider how another person might receive those words. And then it's worse too because I'm a pastor and you just assume that I'm really nice and got all my junk together, right? But it's not true. I just, I just love God and love the Bible and love you. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, right? That's, it's a, so thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm sorry if I've offended you. 70% of the room. So... Um, so, so anyway, but sometimes I can be, be kind of aloof. But you know what? It would, be, it would be harsh for somebody to say, oh, well, that Pastor Todd, he's this, he's rude, he's bold, he's arrogant. No, he wasn't bold. He, he's all these different things. But the reality is, is like what you really want is you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt. You were like, man, I hope they just forgive me. I hope they love me for who I am. I hope they recognize that I have this. Or, you know, do they know that I had this or have, you know, whatever it is, you want people to give that to you, don't you? Don't you want people just to give you kind of a pass or the benefit of the doubt? or let, I bet that's not what they meant. Of course you do. And this is what Jesus was saying. Because if you go back to what he said, he goes, judge not, lest you be judged. Because with the same measure, everybody say measure. The same measure that you use to judge, that's how it's coming back to you. Which means this. The way that God judges you, according to Matthew chapter 7, is a reflection of how you judge other people. Now, let me ask a very obvious question. How many of you want God to judge you very harshly? No! You want him to give you every pass you can possibly get. You want him to, be, you want him to look at the angels, and the angels will be like, man, that dude's whack. And be like, hey, you don't know who he's married to, okay? <laughs> Chill out. You don't know who she's married to. You don't know. Have you met his mother? You know, you want all of these things to come out. He had a hard childhood. Give him a break. You know, you want God to give you every possible excuse, past. Re now, listen, listen, listen. This does not mean that we never judge. This is not, does not mean that we dismiss all behavior. This does not mean that we do not call things as they are. It means that as much as we possibly can, until we have no other way of doing it, we give people the benefit of the doubt. Now, at some point, it just crosses a line, and sometimes it just is what it is. And so let me help you out real quick. Here's four big ideas on judging, and we'll, we'll kind of work through these ideas real quick here. Number one is this, is be careful to judge actions and not intentions. Sometimes um, what we do is we take something that a person did, and then we label them as this is who they are. Does that make sense? Sometimes somebody did something bad or said something bad, and then we just judge their heart. Does that make sense? And you don't want to do that. You know why? Because you don't know their heart. 
You don't know their intentions. You have no idea what was going through their heart and their mind. And so because of that, be careful. That, because this is where you end up going. When you start judging intentions and not just actions, you end up labeling people. So now, instead of like, okay, like how many of you got kids out there? You got kids? Okay, okay, your kids are going to do dumb things, right? Duh. Okay. So it, it, it's one thing for you to say, hey, what you did was really dumb versus saying, hey, you're stupid. One of them makes it personal. One of them is labeling. One of them is slanders. It's one thing for you to call your coworker and be like, hey, what you did here, whatever. You're looking at their actions. And that's fair. At some point, you need to see one of the words for judge is not just to condemn. One of them is to discern. And it's okay to discern. It's not okay to condemn. That's not your J-O-B. You want to let God keep that job. You don't want to be responsible for that because... If you become the harsh judge of everybody else around you, then what you're saying is, is God, I've got this standard and you can hold me accountable to it as well. And you don't want that. Let God be judge. But you can discern. But when you discern, don't get into their intentions. Don't get into labeling. Don't get into name calling. Don't go there. Something can be real. Like they did something wrong. They did something bad. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about how you respond to that. But in the meantime, in your mind, in your heart, we don't judge their intentions in their heart. Number two is this. Be careful to judge with humility. Like, have a humility about you. Because when we make snap judgments, usually we're not considering everything, and we're not even looking at our own heart. We're not actually considering that there's probably a log up in my life, and I am nitpicking the speck in theirs. Listen to what James said. This is another, another take on judging. Brothers... Do not slander one another. That's what we just talked about, like using your words to label somebody and to call out their heart and their intentions. He says, don't do that. Then he goes on and goes further. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him, and he says something weird here, speaks against the law and judges it, which is really confusing. I had to like really think through this. The very next verse kind of displays what he's talking about. He goes, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Now, let me tell you what this means. This is, this is his way of working through this idea. He's talking to religious people, okay? He's not talking to sinners who have no rule system and no religious system that they're trying to live by. He's talking to religious people. And what he's saying is this, hey, be careful, you religious people, because see, when you get religious, there's a temptation, because religious people know all the rules, Right? Like we know all the Ten Commandments, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. Hey, you're supposed to do this. And we judge everybody based on now that we know the rules, we know what you're actually supposed to do or not supposed to do. Are you following me so far? And he goes, when you get to judging harshly or critically, what happens is, is that you are sitting on the law is what he said. He said, when you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're sitting in judgment on it. This is what you're doing. How many in here are perfect? Anybody? Jesus Jr.? Nope. So you got your issues, right? When you sit on the law, this is what he's saying. He says, you're sitting up on the law like you own that thing. And what you're doing is you're determining, well, these things over here are really bad. And by the way, those are the things that you do. And these things over here that I do, they're not as bad as the things that that you do. And now I'm judging which ones are the most important ones or which ones are the bigger ones or which ones God likes more than others. And now I've become the judge who's sitting on the law and determining like which ones are the bad ones, which are yours, and which ones are the... I mean, they're not great, but it's not that big of a deal. I think God will be okay with that. And those are mine, by the way. Or, or sometimes we just look and we think, well, because I'm religious, I've only got like two or three issues, but you, whew, eight or nine, that makes me better than you. You know what you're doing? You're sitting up on the law. 
You are sitting on it and dictating which are the bad ones and the good ones, the important ones and the not so important ones, or how many they got and how many you got. And he goes, don't do that. Don't get into this idea of sitting up on the law and judging it. When you judge, judge with humility, meaning before I call out any of your junk, I need to be like, okay, hold on. I got issues too. Hey, you know what? I got this. I got that. You should be examining your heart before you try to start examining other people's. Can I get a what, what? So number three is this. Be careful to judge because it just darkens your heart. Like you ever notice this? I'm just going to, this is big observations here. People that are critical in their judgments are number one, unhappy people in and of themselves. And then number two, they're annoying to be around. That's just my observation. I don't know if you've ever been around like a really harsh, critical, judgy person and thought, I like them. I just really just want to go have a cup of coffee with that guy. No, it darkens your, it darkens your heart. Do you, do you know that like being a critical person makes you unhappy? One of the things that I noticed too about critical people is, is, is you're thin-skinned yourself. Like that's why you're so critical. Everything bothers you because you are thin-skinned. Marvin Gaye was right. We are all sensitive people. And if the spirit moves you, let me groove you. But <laughs> Remember that? We are all sensitive people. You're sensitive. And usually the most sensitive people, you get into a conversation with them and they start judging everybody else. You're like, now look, now look, I'm not, sens- I'm not being sensitive here, but no, you are sensitive. You're tripping. And you're unhappy, you're unpleasant. You know what else it makes you? It makes you a complainer. It makes you a gossip because you're vocalizing all of your judgments. It just makes you this unhappy, unpleasant person. And here's the deal. In your marriage, it it spills over. So you're being overly critical in general absolutely goes home to your spouse. And the way that you treat them, the way that you talk to them, the tone in which you speak to them, I'm just telling you that this has major ramifications that as soon as you become critical and harsh in your judgments, all of a sudden you're unhappy, you're thin-skinned, you're a complainer, you're a gossip, and your spouse has taken all the blows. So I'm just telling you that this idea of all of a sudden I need to look at every human being and as to the best of my ability, give them the benefit of the doubt, create a possible reason or excuse as to why that happened, to not read in and assume the negative, but to actually assume the positive. As far as I possibly can, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Because to do anything else makes me an unhappy person. Number four is this, and, and we'll be done. Number four is be careful when you judge because you don't know the full story. You don't, you don't really know, okay? That's the big thing I want you to get to see. Like, you don't know their heart. You don't know their intentions. You don't know all the details. You don't know all the history. You don't know where they're coming. You just don't fully know. I learned this um, when I had my children. So how many out there are, you know, maybe young couple out there? Anybody young? Okay, you judge uh, other parents, because I did, right? You ever, okay, you guys, you guys got some kids back there. You got that first kid. You ever, you ever look at other parents, and you see their kids wilding out, and you judge them, right? Okay, don't do that. I did that. <laughs> I learned this the hard way, okay? I remember I was hanging out with my pastor. I was a young man. I was about 21 years old, maybe, something like that. I'm hanging out with my pastor, and he has these two beautiful daughters, and they're all really, really little. And he is there with his daughter, Lauren, and trying to get Lauren to eat some vegetables. Okay, parents, you ever try to get your kids to eat vegetables they don't want to eat? Like, you want to pull your hair out. You want to strangle the dog. Something, somebody's got to pay. <laughs> and, and so, like, I'm watching my pastor, like, bargain with his daughter 
like bribe his daughter, argue. And this is like a three-year-old. He's having a dialogue argument, like trying to have a logical conversation and argument with a three-year-old. And I'm there at the table and I'm sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? I'd whoop that kid's butt. Are you kidding me? I ain't ever going to do that with my kids. My kid's going to eat them vegetables, going to do what I say, and I ain't arguing with them. I'm not going to try to bribe or convince Buzz God. They're just going to obey. That's what I, everybody's laughing. That's what I thought. So all you young couples out there, just know, just careful with your judgments. Here's why you want to be careful with your judgment, because fast forward a few years, and then all of a sudden, me and Tara Lee have our first kid, and our first kid is an amazing eater, like eats everything, eats stuff I'd never eat, eats fruits, vegetables, everything. It's all perfect. See, I didn't have to deal with this. I was right. My kid's going to eat. It reinforced my judgment. But then my daughter came along and she's across the street. So I can say anything I want now. So my daughter eats like I do, which is like a child, right? Like I don't want vegetables. Vegetables are gross. I've never had a vegetable and but mm, that's so good. They don't taste good. Okay. There's a reason why bacon and, and Coke tastes good. It's because they taste good. Vegetables don't taste good. But you have to eat them so you don't die early. Okay? That's not even in my notes. It's a free nugget. Eat, eat, just, just, just do it. Just do it because you have to. But I'm sitting there and my, do- my wife is gone and I'm just there with my daughter and I'm like, you know, ter- and my wife is so organic and every meal has a fruit and a vegetable and a protein. But anyway. And so, so I'm like, come on, babe. You got to eat this. Come on. Laney, please, I'm, I'm begging, please, please just eat your stupid vegetable. And then you try to lie to them and try to make it sound like it's better than it really is, but you know you're lying. You're bargaining, you're, bar- Look, I'll give you, do you see those, do you see the candy over there? Do you see the gummies? I'll give you five gummies if you just eat your vegetables. Okay, six, I'll give you six, seven, I'll give you the whole freaking bag, just eat, eat your vegetables. And as I have this moment where I'm bargaining and bribing and getting angry and like literally having a dialogue argument with a three-year-old, all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I used to make these judgments and now I'm reaping it. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was like to be a parent. It's hard. Sometimes when kids come out and they're just great, sometimes they come out and they're crazy and they come from the same birthing place. There ain't no rhyme or reason. Some kids are just difficult and some kids are just easy. And I don't know why God does that to us. Sometimes it is to pay us back for the judgments that we've made. So listen, if you're out there and if you're just a, if you're just a couple and you're thinking about having kids, I'm all for kids, have kids, they'll sanctify your heart. But don't be passing judgment or you will reap that later in life. You, you don't know. You just, you, just, you just don't know. Listen to this scripture. This is what Paul said in terms of like, hey, you want to know when to judge? Listen to what he says. It's brilliant here. Paul says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. To which you're like, okay, well, when's the appointed time? Uh, Just wait till the Lord comes. (laughs) When's the appointed time? When do I get to lay into them and give them the business? When Jesus returns. Because Jesus will bring to light what is hidden, meaning you don't know. It's hidden. It's hidden in darkness and will expose the motive of their heart, which you don't know either. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Notice it wasn't their condemnation. It wasn't like, hey, God's going to bring everything into the light so he can get you. 
who was like, no, God's going to bring everything into the light and you'll realize you judge harshly and yet God is somehow going to still elevate us. It's amazing. It's the exchange of grace that does not make mathematical sense. But I'm just telling you, wait to judge because you don't know what's hidden in the darkness and you don't know the motive of their heart. Let God do that. You don't know. I'll finish with this story, last story. Chuck Swindoll has uh, been a great kind of Christian author for years and wrote a bunch of incredible books. And in one of his books, he tells a story of being at a conference as the main speaker. And tons of people would come and hear Chuck Swindoll speak. And so, you know, this couple, though, this older couple came up to him at the beginning of the conference, and they were like, hey, we are just so glad to meet you. You have been one of our favorite authors. My husband just loves you. You're his favorite teacher and Bible teacher. We love you, so we're just glad to be here at the conference. And he thought, how sweet. You know, I'm sure he gets a lot of that stuff. But he was like, that's really kind, really encouraging. And so, but sure enough, he goes, what was weird was, throughout the conference, I would look, and I would see that couple, and he's, he's asleep. That dude is snoozing during my teaching session. And this is like a multi-day conference. And he goes, this went on every, for two, three days. Every day I'd catch the guy sleeping. And I begin to think, what a carnal Christian. What, and this is, this is his words, what a carnal Christian. This guy doesn't love God and love the Bible. I can't believe she's got to live with this guy who's just so, I'm, look, I love Jesus. And yet he's falling asleep all the time. And he goes, I just made these really harsh judgments. And he goes, after the conference was over, the wife came up and the husband wasn't around and she came up and she said, hey, I just want you to know that this has been so special and my husband's not around right now. I want you to know he's really embarrassed. <sighs> my husband has terminal cancer and only has weeks to months to possibly live and the pain medication that he's on makes him drowsy and sleepy so he just can't stay awake but I, I just want you to know you are his favorite Bible teacher and being here was the last thing on his bucket list. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> As a pastor, you're like, I'm not worthy. I'm a terrible human being. That's what you think. Why? Because you realized I made harsh judgments. I was critical. I took what they did. I assumed the worst. I assumed they meant it in a negative way. I assumed they meant it in an insulting way. I just, I never considered who they were or where they've come from. I never, I never considered what they've been through in life that maybe made them the way that they are. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a different reason for why that went down that way. And so here's the ending point that I would give you, and it's this. This is what I want you to do to prepare you week one of Holiday Survival Guide. When possible, judge favorably by assuming the best about others. And if not, judge mercifully, since we are in need of mercy also. Let's pray. God, we are going to be around maybe some unique and funky and weird and difficult people, maybe even some people that have hurt or wounded us in the past. But God, for these encounters where we have the opportunity to assume the worst or assume the best, God, help us to be people who judge favorably. Help us to tip the scales in their favor. Help us to give them the benefit of the doubt, to hope beyond hope and believe beyond belief that maybe there's a goodness there, that there's an okay reason, that there's some decent excuse or whatever it is. And I'm not going to take it personal. I'm not going to go and be offended and begin to slander them or gossip about them. God, help us to be people who judge favorably and mercifully. Help us to be a people of grace. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. And we all said, amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.